Welcome to the table. I'm JM, and with me, uh, as always, for this season is uh, Jonathan, Kyle, Thomas, and Susie. Uh, we are talking about change, and uh, Susie, you're uh, kind of co-hosting this episode. Yeah. What change are we talking about today? Yes, the concept today is this. As a parent, we often have fear over the content our kids are exposed to. And our natural instinct is to control that content mm -hmm. and protect our kids from it, which is natural and good. And that's what we should be doing as parents. But the reality is that we are exposed to the brokenness in our world um, more than ever before. Mm -hmm. That change has occurred. There's no going back from it. And so instead of digging our heels into it, uh, we need to lean in and, and find ways to just be more effective as parents. Um, I wanted to start by sharing a few examples from my own life, and I would love for you guys to chime in if this strikes a chord in you. And I think this will help to shape uh, this concept for our audience as well. Um, so I have a very short life of 40 years. I've experienced some things in my time on this planet. Uh, and the first thing I want to uh, reference in the change that has happened is pornography. Hmm. 25 years ago, in the mid-90s, I was a teenager, and to come across pornography, uh, it, it was a pretty difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. You had to know someone who was 18 years or older. I believe it was 18 was the age. And that person had to be willing to go into a store where there's tons of other people around and purchase a magazine. And they had like a cover on them so you couldn't see um, exactly what it was. But it was obvious. Everyone can probably picture what those look like. Mm -hmm. um, that person would have to purchase a magazine and then get it back to you into your hands. Um, and that's actually how I came across my very first experience with pornography was with a friend's mom's boyfriend who they were laughing about it and talking about it. And of course, as teenagers, you're curious. And he's like, well, I'll go buy you guys one. And he did. Hmm. Now today, you know, your eight-year-old can be online and stumble across pornography. Yeah, right. So that has changed drastically, right? Yeah. I think one of the big shifts, like I, I talk, I've talked to a lot of guys about this and, and there was a reality, I think when we were younger, those of us who, let's say 35 on up, I don't know where the cutoff is, but <laughs> you know, those of us who are middle-aged, uh, where it was, it, uh, I, I know a lot of guys who like had this discovery of pornography with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this huge shift now that oh. so many kids are having a discovery of pornography when they're mm -hmm. just by themselves wow. on yeah. their device. Um, and, and that's, it, it's just different. And I'm not totally sure exactly mm -hmm. all the psychological implications of that. But when I saw pornography for, for the first time, I was with a friend. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, our kids these days are seeing it all by themselves wow. in isolation yeah. and, and that is a dramatically different experience, yeah. I think. And we know isolation is a very often used tool of, of the enemy. Yeah. 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 Well, and there's an example of pornography. I think even our uh, definitions around pornography have softened and changed. Like there's things on television now, like you'd be watching the Super Bowl that kids can watch that would have been considered pornography 30 years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, and now that's just, you know, whatever. And so there, even that of just... There's, you don't have to go looking for it. Like yeah. you, you find yeah. it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's no longer a matter of if it's a matter of right. when. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. And your point of control. I mean, just one of the things that, that's shifting is I, I've come to believe there is no way to control. Mm. Yeah. And I, I have, I'm the IT director for my family basically. And hmm. I, through the years I've, I've used this internet program or this ad blocker or this thing mm -hmm. or 
whatever. And there are still ways around any kind of walls or anything that we put up. And it's just, it, it feels disheartening in a sense because yeah. there really is that sense. And in fact, sometimes some of the things I put up have given me a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, right. we have a, we have this uh, porn blocker on our phones. And so, so we don't, don't have to talk about it. We don't have to, we yeah. don't have, to talk about it. Don't have to have the conversation. Yeah. 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 And the sad thing is, is there, there are people who are far more invested and far smarter at computers who are invested in making sure they can get around whatever right. whatever's coming up because they know it's a matter of hooking and then you're then you're in yeah. and uh, as you said you know like I, I i worry because my son's eight years old and he has seen things that have approached that line just mm-hmm. on the ads that have right. come up on the websites that yep. we have deemed safe for him right? yeah yeah this is a really scary change it's it's scary. Scary. like it's scary, it's scary to think that there's no going back. Like mm-hmm. this has yeah. happened. And, yeah. 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 So another fun topic. <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, depression, anxiety, suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 25 years ago in the nineties, I was a teenager. Uh, I don't recall those words being used often. Mm-hmm. We have those words as handles to carry this conversation now, but back then we didn't talk about depression. Mm-hmm. We didn't, I, I don't know if I, if I even knew the word anxiety um, I was unaware of anyone that I knew that died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And, and today we use those words often. They're, they're very normalized. Mm-hmm. I think that scares parents. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if, if you live in our county, El Paso County, and you have a teenager, I, I imagine they have been affected by a peer at their own school mm-hmm. dying by suicide. We have a crazy high yeah. suicide rate. Um, and I do want to um, kick this topic off by saying debunking the myth a lot of parents are afraid well if i talk to my kid about suicide and we haven't talked about it before and they don't know about it or they're not aware of it i'm going to plant some idea in their head and that is a myth we've got to lean into that conversation and talk about these important issues because they're in our spaces all the time yeah yeah growing up uh we never talked about that and it has come out since then that some of uh like extended family members, uh, both in my family and my wife's family, they struggled with depression. They went on medication for it and they never talked about it. And it made identifying those things in our lives that much more difficult mm. because it was like, well, I don't know what's going on. This isn't normal. Yeah. I don't know how to talk about it. And then to find out years later, oh yeah, you know, your aunts went through the same thing. Your uncle went through the same thing. It's like, well, if you had just overcome that fear and actually had handles to carry the conversation, how much more helpful would that have been to the next generation? Yeah. There's, yeah there's been a shift in, um, in this for sure. Like I, I remember 20 years ago doing uh, funerals for people that had uh, committed death by suicide. And, and back then, the common request was don't, we, we don't acknowledge that. No mm-hmm. one knows how it just happened. This guy just died. And we, we couldn't acknowledge it or talk about it. Because there's so much shame connected to it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I, I think a very positive thing actually about this topic is it's it is out there now, mm-hmm. and we can't have language and we can talk about this with our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we still have that stigma in the church that's thankfully bleeding off. Um, but the idea that oh, we can't talk about it because it's somehow a mortal sin or some you know something right. like that, and it's like no, like the grace of God covers yes. everything. Or, or mental health, just in yeah. general, yeah, exactly. is yeah. now being more recognized as yeah. this is actually a real thing we can talk yeah. about. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think the cost of not talking about it with kids in particular is that they believe the lie. There is something broken and wrong with me that can't be fixed. And so when that takes root and takes hold, what that can kind of lead to and drive to. And so even just there's a piece of of normalizing it that is scary to normalize depression and suicide, Mm -hmm. but that also keeps the lie from taking root in our kids Mm -hmm. that there is something broken and wrong that they can't, you know, and so fights against that isolation that they would feel if they're not talking about it with anybody. Okay. And then another topic would be racism Mm -hmm. Uh, growing up as a teenager, unless, unless I experienced, unless I experienced it, witnessed it myself. um, How would I know that there are acts of prejudice going, going on? Like if I sat down and watched the five o'clock news, if it was reported Mm -hmm. in a newspaper, um, if you had friends who are people of color who were sharing an experience with Mm -hmm. you, um, you wouldn't be aware of it. Uh, you would be unaware of of movements happening unless maybe by word of mouth, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go march down at the courthouse mm-hmm. um, because we believe there's unjust things happening. Um, and these days, it's 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 all in our face. You can you can watch a man get murdered on social media. Racism is everywhere. Yeah, I was uh, talking to my sons about this at the dinner table, um, and. Uh, you know, the, obviously with the murder of George Floyd, it's on everyone's mind. Everyone's talking about it and everyone is consuming a lot of news about this subject. Uh, and one of my sons said that he was getting most of his news about it from TikTok. Um, and I, I had this moment where I'm like, I, so I, I know what TikTok is because I'm a very cool dad. Yes. Um, but my impression of, t- yeah, <laughs> that's not a question. Oh, okay. It was a statement. Okay. 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 <laughs> my impression of TikTok is that it was largely videos of people dancing. I, right. I maybe foolishly, I don't have a TikTok account, but I thought that's all TikTok was. Um, and here is my son saying, no, that he's, he's hearing news and he's seeing videos of uh, events that have happened on this app that I, I'm like, that is very interesting. And so I, like, I don't even know what to do with that. Is that a good thing, bad thing, indifferent thing? I know somehow China is connected to TikTok. I just, there's so much that I don't understand, but it just highlighted for me that even in this scenario where we need to have incredibly thoughtful conversations with our kids about racism, um, here's this like third party, this app Mm -hmm. and this news source that is somehow interacting with our kids. And I, I, I don't even know what's what's happening in that context. Uh, it yeah, filled yeah. me with a little fear. Yeah. yeah. I think that brings up a good point is, is with the abundance of media and the abundance of ways to get information, if we're not talking with our kids about it and actually yes. opening up dialogues so that they feel comfortable coming to us and talking about it, someone else will. Right. And it may not be a person. It may be like it may be TikTok as sort of like an entity and what they're consuming and parsing. And that's scary for me too. Well, yeah. yeah. And there's all kinds of studies about like the first time you learn about something, the the position that you hear becomes like your um, default position that all other information mm-hmm. has to compete against to kind of change mm-hmm. your mind about something. And so when you throw in stuff like social media, you have not just the act, the, the sin of racism or the, the horrible things that are happening, but all of the crazy rhetoric and polarization and mm-hmm. uh, of things and crazy, crazy opinions. And I think when, when someone hears something for the first time, it, especially a, a young person, it's easy to internalize all of those opinions, be, make it become fact. And then everything else is competing against changing their mind of something that wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. true to start with. And so there's just this piece of 
there's a discernment question. There's, there's all these things of helping sort through the mess of that. Even as adults, we get caught up in the rhetoric mm-hmm. and polarization. Yeah. But at least we can see it on some levels and go, I see how this is something else. I, I, our kids wade into that stuff without any idea of what's happening and what's even competing for their attention, opinion, mm-hmm. position, all of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think something that's, um, it's probably true about everything this season that we talk about with the subject of change is um, this is not change for our kids. Yeah. Yeah. This is all change for us. We're all talking about, well, when I was 13, I mean, I had a great grandmother that was born, you know, in the 1800s and lived at a time when there was no flight. And then she lived to a time when we landed on the moon. And so the massive amount of change that she saw, well, I've grown up in a world where that I didn't experience that kind of change. And I think when we keep thinking about this stuff as change, but our kids are natives to this stuff. They are natives to how TikTok works. They're natives to how they're experiencing the conversations about Mm -hmm. uh, racism. They are natives to their exposure Mm -hmm. to pornography. We're the ones that are all struggling with the the change that's here. Um, So that's kind of interesting to me is, well, they're not experiencing as change. Then it's just life. And so that requires us to redefine our definition of protecting our kids. Um, I think there was a day, and it's gone, that you could protect your kid from pornography, um, maybe. <laughs> that I think that is gone now. And, and I don't think we give up that fight, but I redefine what protect means. I don't think it means I will shield my kid's eyes from ever being exposed. That's impossible. So I need to redefine protect for my kids. Maybe that means protect their heart, protect from isolation, normalize the conversation, um, share my own story with my kids so that they're not afraid to share the story when it happens to them, you know. So, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. So it's just, I mean, we talked a lot about this in season two. Yes. Go check out season two of yes. uh, Welcome to the Table podcast if you want to have more discuss- hear more discussion around this topic. But is it... It, to me, it seems like a shift of less of protecting my son from exposure to any of these things and building building sort of a shelter and protective space where he can come and we can have a discussion yeah. about this. Absolutely. That's the win. That's, sure. And that, I think, is the big shift in, in my mind. It, tell me what you think about this, but this, this is where my head goes, is that the battle's not over exposure, the battle's over isolation. Mm. Yeah. Um, and And it's not... It, it almost feels defeatist to say, uh, well, we can't win the battle of exposure. Uh, but my parents didn't win it with me, and the world is much more complex now right. for my kids. Um, I think the battle to fight as a parent is that one where our kids are isolated. They're left to their their own thoughts and their own uh, you know, processing, or, or they're only processing with peers. They're not mm-hmm. processing with anyone with life experience that could bring some wisdom to it. Um, and so trying to win the battle of not having isolated kids yeah. who don't know where to go or how to shape yeah. their thoughts uh, around this stuff is very different than trying to win the battle of exposure um, yeah. in my mind. Well, it's good. It makes me think of what you were sharing when we were talking about pornography, Thomas, is that sometimes there's this false sense of security of, hey, there's this filter in place or there's this thing, so I don't have to have the conversation or like this is this is settled. And so I think the, the lie to believe on the exposure battle is just that if I could just keep my son from seeing anything, 
and we don't have to have any of those kind of conversations about the ugliness of the world and all of this. And, you know, the reality is it's, it is totally untrue. Um, the better thing is to, to, to get fluent at having those conversations and yeah. to practice them and to have lots of them. And um, it doesn't have to be this, you know, I remember having maybe a conversation with my dad when I was a, a teen um, and it was everything had to be loaded into this one moment. But it is that, you know, continual conversations mm-hmm. and just making it so normal yes. to talk about this sort of stuff, um, creating that sort of space and safety that my mm-hmm. son can trust me that, yeah. you know, that it's yeah. not judgment, that it's not whatever, but that he'll be received with, yeah. you know, someone who. Well, and as yeah. you said earlier, I, I mean, even if we had a perfect filter and we had perfect vigilance and we shepherd our children to 18 with no exposure to uh, racism or pornography or depression and suicide and then we send them out into the world right. we've done them a disservice right. because so they're right, going right. to hit all of that in the face immediately on yeah. their own then. yeah they, they, you know, without they any have... tools to yeah. navigate it yeah. yeah yeah there's a i've kind of had this thought in, in parenting where you have this sliding scale almost where mm-hmm. um at one end is the word maybe protect and the other end is the word prepare and, and of course, you're you're a three year old. You should you should protect them. You know, mm-hmm. there, sure. there, there is some value in the things mm-hmm. that we do that protect. And so, mm-hmm. uh, a parent that says I want to protect my kid, that's not a that's not a bad desire. No. That's, a, that's a natural parenting thought. But you're 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 realizing that from the day that they're born, there's coming a day when they are going to be released out into the wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says they're like shot like arrows from a quiver, um, and. You're, you're kind of moving that needle all the time. Mm-hmm. And what you don't want to do, I think, is just like you just said, well, I'll just protect until 18 and then Katie bar the door. You know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. um, instead, it's a gradual mm-hmm. um, giving them opportunities mm-hmm. to exercise things. Because I'd rather, one of my friends gave me this great piece of advice. He said, if, if my son is going to make big mistakes, I'd rather him make them at home yeah. while we're kind of having conversations yeah. yes. about it and able to learn from it than wait and have him make them all when he's out on the own and he doesn't know what to do. Right. That's good. And and what is at the heart of all of this and um, the entire parenting podcast season is we say over and over, as a parent, we are fighting for our kids' hearts, mm-hmm. not their behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our natural default is to get them to behave a certain way. Gosh, we do that in the church as Christians too. Mm-hmm. We think that's what Christianity is all about when um, really, God is like, no, this is a heart thing. I'm fighting for your heart. I'm not fighting for your behavior. Mm-hmm. And as parents, that helps us to embrace something like you just said, kind of this scale of it starts with with uh, protecting, but then I have to be more open-handed as they get older mm-hmm. and begin to prepare them because I'm not fighting for them to act perfectly. I'm fighting for their heart mm-hmm. and yeah. to kind of redefine that win as a parent as well. If If I have created a relationship where my kid can come and talk to me about the behavior, mm-hmm. then you are setting them up for success. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you have any scriptures that we could kind yeah. of anchor this discussion to? I would love to wrap up with a scripture. I think this is a beautiful verse. It's Malachi 4, 6. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so beautiful because it, it doesn't say... He will tell the parents how to perfectly articulate (laughs) the obedience that they require and the children will obey. It's all heart. Mm -hmm. And that's the win as a parent. You are winning as a parent if you are fighting for your kid's heart. Set the behavior aside. I love that. And what's so interesting is Malachi was written to the Israelites um, that had returned to their land after 
the Babylonian captivity. So they were in their own land, uh, but they were under Persian rule. Times were tough. The harvest was really poor. There were plagues running rampant. Foreign cultures had made deep inroads into the values and the practices of God's people here. And so they had this mentality of like, oh my gosh, like time, times are really tough. We're like oppressed. And so I think our tendency is to kind of bring everything in, mm-hmm. bring it in and control yeah. it when, when we're feeling um, things coming at us from the outside. I think that's true of parents mm-hmm. as well. Um, and Malachi gets on to the people because they have this mentality of protect. We've got to protect ourselves. Um, they're sacrificing only their lame animals. They're keeping the best for themselves. They're not tithing their complete tithe. You know, th- there's this fear driving them of we've got to protect our own, look out for ourselves. And it just, it reveals a lack of trust in God when we do that. It's not a genuine faith when you feel like I've got to control this. I've got to, I've got to bring it in here um, to protect mine, to protect my family, to protect my children. And when we trust God with the things that he's given us, we don't hold back. He can be trusted, especially with our children. Um, and God says this in Malachi chapter 3. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Oh. And I know he's not talking specifically to parents, but I believe just the heart of that book and what's going on is so relatable to this topic. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Well, any final thoughts? Anything you guys want to share before we wrap up the episode? That was really good, Susie. That was great, really guys. Thanks for leaning that. into that stuff. It's hard stuff, I know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, you can find us on uh, the Pulpit Rock YouTube channel, uh, live on Wednesday nights. Podcast is uh, on the PRC website. Uh, This has been another episode of Welcome to the Table. Thank you for engaging with us and joining us here. And we will be back in a week uh, to have more discussions on change.